0: Podcast this week will be looking at how sports venues are facing their hospitality challenges. Joining us today are Colin Mays of the BGL Group, David Armstrong from Wasp Rugby, Danny Macklin, the CEO of Lake Norrient, Gareth Howes from the Jockey Club, and Chris Ramson from Ascot Racecourse. I'm also delighted to say that our UK Hospitality Chief Exec Kate Nichols is also with us and will be hosting our discussion. So, uh, can we start by a quick round the table, everyone? Perhaps Colin, you could kick off, just to give us uh, an idea of your role within your organisation and, and what your organisation does. Uh,
1: well, the Burhill Group is a bit of a multifaceted uh, leisure business. We own uh, ten um, golf course operations with uh, fairly extensive food and beverage operations, and a couple of our uh, businesses have uh, quite large uh, health club facilities with them. Um, and then we have a very large uh, property aspect of our business where we own uh, land and develop that with uh, an organisation, well, various house builders, uh, Octagon is, is one of them, quite a premier house builder mm-hmm. in Surrey. Um, we own quite a large slug of the um, Chichester Harbour, about a thousand moorings in Chichester Harbour um, and a sailing club down there and a few other bits and pieces. So. We really have quite a wide variety of leisure businesses in the fold.
0: Indeed, Danny,
2: a little bit about the same you and Leinster. Yes, uh, chief executive of uh, Leinster. I've been there just over a year now. We're in the fifth tier of football uh, currently at the time of recording, uh, top of the, the national league, and hopefully that will continue. Uh, we fell on hard times. Uh, two back-to-back relegations took us from uh, the top of League One to uh, to the national league. Um, we very much got everything. Uh, Pinned and hoped that we gain promotion in the next few years. That might be this season, and, and hopefully it will be. My role is about uh, taking the club onto the next level, uh, ultimately to, to get, get us promoted. Will help us to do that, but basically develop the incomes and develop a sustainable club. Uh, we're everyone, every Londoner's second favourite team, and uh, we want to try and monetise that, and that's that's our objective. Providing real football in Cato. Gareth.
3: Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm business development manager uh, at the Jockey Club, um, based out of Cheltenham Racecourse. Uh, we own and operate fifteen race courses uh, around the country, um, as well as the National Stud um, and training grounds uh, at Newmarket and Lambourn. Um, just entered the the national start the national hunt season, so big meeting um, at Cheltenham. Um, this weekend just gone. Uh, my role is kind of based a, a long hospitality uh, sponsorship and conferencing and events to to kind of find the the, the new sort of partners that we're going to work with going forward and uh, and grow this sport from this kind of a traditional traditional past really. And
4: David? Um, yes, until recently I was the group chief executive at Wasps um, and remain on the board as a non-exec director now. Um, as well as being a rugby club, as you know, Wasps owned in the Ricoh Arena in Coventry. Uh, which is a really unique facility with over 20,000 square meters of conferencing and exhibition space. Um, our own hotel, casino, soon to be second hotel, and uh, home to as well as Wasps to Coventry City and um, championship-winning Wasps Netball. Um, we've got uh, significant opportunities for further development of the facility, and, and we're very lucky to. Have think landed on our, on our field with such a successful move from London to Coventry.
1: Thanks guys.
0: Um, passing the baton on to you Kent uh, to uh, take up the conversation.
5: Okay, well just to give you an overview of UK hospitality and our, and our aims and objectives and to why we wanted to have uh, host today's podcast. Um, we have three main objectives for our new organisation. The first is um, to promote the reputation of hospitality in the UK, uh, culturally, socially, economically, not just as a great place to work, invest and grow, but we also are keen to promote understanding of the diversity of hospitality businesses. So people will tend to think of hotels, pubs, bars, restaurants, but we also want to make sure that people are aware of the importance of hospitality venues in the sports sector in um, helping to sustain um, vibrant grassroots sport and also to help uh, sustain the, the viability of many of the businesses within the sports sector. Um, the second objective that we have is, is to protect the businesses within the sector, to help and advise on business growth, sharing expertise and experiences as well as insight across other sectors so that we can get some cross-sectoral learnings. And thirdly and finally, to, to prevent the imposition of the unnecessary costs of doing business, so to campaign and be the voice of the sector to maintain that downward pressure on costs. And so today's podcast really encapsulates everything that we're trying to do right. uh, and brings us into that wider sphere of hospitality so that we can get that learning across from all, all the different businesses. Um, so, if I just kick off with it with a sort of an open question about what's preoccupying you commercially at the moment? What are the big challenges that you're facing, um, both in, in your, your day business but also in the hospitality side of the business? Who wants to go first?
4: I'm happy to go first, thank you. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge we face probably, especially in hospitality, is the, the changing nature of, of the consumer. Um, we, we're fortunate to average over 1500 hospitality covers at every game, but the hospitality customer wants something different. The traditional day of this sort of sit down, three course meal, glass of wine, whatever it is, is, is going if not already gone and we're constantly seeking to innovate our product offering our service offering the experience the match day experience of uh, hospitality guests to offer them something different and to keep it fresh and innovative so we're, we're looking to change that in a way in which we allow interaction with with the players access to the tunnel various other things around our ground that we do to uh, promote a different something innovative um, and, the, and the most important thing is to, is to keep innovating um, don't sit back, the oh, moment you think you've cracked it, you've lost it.
5: So you're really exploring that experiential side of it with us, yes. the players and, and making it a bit more of a day out. Is the same thing go for football? I mean obviously you've got 90 minutes of concentrated action when they're inside the stadium. How are you extending the shoulder periods either side?
2: Yes certainly at our uh, end of the spectrum of football you know, we, we, we pride ourselves that we, we haven't got Pogba playing for us uh, and that our players are sociable, they're relatable and they're contactable uh, certainly on a match day in terms of you know, having that close connection to them and that's really our sort of USP that you know, we're, you're going to a ground as we say that they're playing Clare and Blue just down the road and they're sort of 26 rows away from the edge of the pitch where ours live more than 26 rows uh, you know, maximum away uh, and we're trying to elongate that day. You, know, you hit the nail on the head in terms of hospitality about 10 years ago, it was, it was pretty much the same in every venue. Now, you know, there's venues that have clearly moved faster than others. Uh, we're trying to play a little bit of catch up and I think we've done that in the last 12 months uh, as a club and as a sort of lower league uh, club all, all the same where we're trying to strive to just have that something that's a little bit different and to elongate that, that day so it's not just about an hour before kick off but we're really trying to create an atmosphere uh, that they help create as well from really sort of 12 o'clock till 6 o'clock historically within football hospitality at that end as soon as the game is finished yeah come 5 o'clock that's it and yeah the the opportunity to to increase spend and to you know increase the working hours for those that are working around you uh, has
0: now increased certainly at our level and I think higher up the spectrum as well. Can I just ask you Danny do you find Hospitality more easy to sell on the evening matches than the weekend matches. So if a difference in the way you structure that.
2: Yeah, probably. I wouldn't say it was any easier, or any more difficult. Uh, we're, we're yeah, we're, we're enjoying bumper crowds, hospitality and non-hospitality, which is great. But it's a very different audience on a Tuesday, where it's easier to appeal to the corporates to say, you know, uh, guys and, and ladies, we've got table for ten. Uh, on Tuesday trying to come down, that's probably an easier sell for them to do rather than giving up some of their time to, to, to watch
5: a, a game of football. Colin obviously you're slightly yeah. different in golf courses the yeah, good. well time. No, I'd
1: go very much along with the comments made from rugby, you know, golf is a very traditional sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it it is constantly looking at ways that we can innovate and make the clubs more attractive to keep our people, um, our customers longer, increase the dwell time, increase their enjoyment, um, and make sure that they, you know, that, that, that the spend capability keeps climbing. Um, so I think that that's one of the key challenges. Um, I think another is that, you know, as a business, particularly within the core, core golf, um, invariably our, our locations are just off of town because of the nature of, you know, in the countryside Um, and one of the key aspects for us is always finding suitable staff and retaining them, training them and making sure that they stay and transportation to the sites and and solving those sort of issues are are quite difficult for us uh, at times Generally generally do quite well but I can see it it, over the last certainly three to four years the staffing issues have uh, become more critical. Um, and you've got to fight harder to keep them, you pay more as well, so your costs are increasing. Invariably, because we've introduced functions at the facilities, you know, having to get staff home, and we're invariably having to pay to get them home, organised taxes or minibuses, etc. Um, maybe because we don't want them travelling you know, walking down lanes at late at night there's, uh, there's a social responsibility but there's a real practical responsibility yeah. if we can't get them home we can come in the first place yeah. so you can increase so
5: your revenue and your dwell time but your, your costs the are going up, up at the same time uh, and you um, must so have a similar experience <coughs> in race courses and that, that they are by definition places that you tend to have to travel by car to, they're not in the centre of town they're not in walking distance do you have similar experiences uh, concerns around staffing and
3: staffing costs? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, a large event like the Cheltenham Festival or the Grand National Festival, you do have those issues because in, you know, a, a town like Cheltenham you're not going to have the, the number of staff that you need to, to run an event where there's seventy you know 70,000 people present. Um, I think for us, you know, we are quite lucky in terms of the way a race day works. It does work very well for a, for a corporate hospitality day. It is a long day. You do have gaps between races to kind of spend time with with your clients, um, but I think really where we're trying to kind of push forward and innovate is, you know, make sure the kind of food and drink offering that that, that we provide is is good. And if you know if that's at the, the top end, providing you know, Michelin star chefs in the restaurants, or or kind of lower down offering, kind of a, an enhancement to a general admission ticket. I think really that's where we're sort of looking to innovate um, at the moment, really.
5: And are you finding the same challenges with staff in terms of getting them there, getting them home? after those large functions
3: definitely it is difficult you know um, like I go back to the festival we are you know blessing people in from you know as far as kind of London one way and up to Birmingham or you know over to Wales and Cardiff and Swansea the other way and it is something that I think we've we, we've probably had to deal with for, for a very long time really anyway because of the the nature of, of the events taking place in quite a them isn't remote, but I suppose in terms of, you know, staffing you know, event for 70,000 people, it probably is, really. Um, so, yes, we certainly it's have those issues as well.
5: As the London football stadium. No. close and to the transport But place.
3: I think, really, we've probably had to deal with those issues for maybe a little bit longer yeah, yeah. due to the nature of our events, really, so maybe it's something we're more have used to costs, doing.
0: Have your costs gone up as well? Yeah. The, actually doing that. Is, the, are they different now proportionally to where they were maybe 10
5: years
3: ago? I wouldn't perhaps say proportionally, but they have just due to the fact the events have grown in size um, due, due to the work we've done, really, so...
5: Mm. Yes, and just to particularly pick up on the the staffing issue, one of the issues that we're picking up from a lot of members is that security staff, stewards, there's a shortage and a labour shortage amongst those uh, badged SIA badge holders? Are you seeing that as well, or is that just something that's hitting the town centres at the moment? Well,
3: I think it's something that is an issue, and it means we have to work with more partners, you know, on that front, and more we have to work with more companies to bring those staff in. Um, I don't think it's something we can get over, but yeah, I'd say we are kind of. Um, are you seeing that in rugby and football As well, as
5: well the, the challenge of finding those stewards and door supervisors.
4: Actually, we're not particularly, uh, although we're very close to the city centre of Coventry, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is a large town with a rel- relatively high unemployment. Um, and we actually have our own train station built into the stadium. Therefore, mm-hmm. getting access in and out and bus routes and everything else is actually quite straightforward. So we haven't really found that. I mean, it's, a, it's an area where there's a significant rotation of staff all the time. So it's more a question of trying to retain yes. and, and um, develop and, and promote those people. Uh, rather than an absolute shortage of numbers.
2: I mean, again, the connectivity into central London are only a few stops away from the city, but that, so that makes it easier. But in terms of trying to find the quality and the consistency of people, someone that comes from one Saturday to the next is, is challenging, and that that challenge is yeah uh, you know, ultimately affects on the service that you give to families and to give
5: to clients. Mm. So, I mean, all of you will be reliant, I would, I would imagine, on on temporary staff, casual mm-hmm. staff. Uh, have
1: you seen any shortages coming through recently? Yeah, most yeah we certainly have um, you know, I, we've got a number of clubs in the Surrey uh, area a uh, relatively wealthy neighborhood um, and, and finding good quality stuff we do we employ quite a few foreign nationals um, and they're probably you know a, a cornerstone of the business actually mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah that, that, and it will get more challenging I'm sure
5: um, Chris. We've just been joined by Chris from Ascot Racecourse, yes. how are you finding the challenge of, of staffing and, and staffing up those big events that you do, obviously it's it's a real draw for people to go and work there, you must have people who want to go and work at Ascot for the major events, but are you finding it on a, on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, challenging finding the, the quality of a, a hospitality staff?
6: Well we have a, um, we race 26 days of the year, so uh, we're in in that respect we're sort of every fortnight we're we're in demand of, uh, of quality staff we have a particular partnership with our catering supplier which is a joint venture um, we work very closely with them and obviously delivering the the level of hospitality that we do we we put a lot of emphasis into getting the right staff in there in terms of are we we finding a show we we're always recruiting and trying to improve um, we're uh, from, from our side, um, we're, I think we're a bit unique in the level that, that ASCA do when you, when you have a business like ours where five days of the year is the, the most important five days of your life. Um, but then uh, our standards last throughout the year and the, the quality of the people that we put into our hospitality boxes and our, our fine dining restaurants is key to our success and key to returning customers. So we've, we put a lot of emphasis on that, and we, we address it probably, I'm not saying with more focus than, than other things, but we, we really do uh, concentrate on that. So the answer is yes, but not to the same degree maybe as, maybe as as others around the table.
5: And obviously we're talking about pressure and costs, and we've mentioned minimum wage, we've mentioned property costs, um, which will hit different people in different ways. Um, you're obviously not immune to any of those costs. If you just talk about how you're trying to widen and extend the hospitality offering and and look at creating new revenue channels to be able to offset that rising cost.
4: Well, one of the things that uh, we do at WASPs as well as our hospitality offering is our our fan village, which is actually a general admission offering, but what we are able to do using our exhibition facilities is to create an indoor fan village that holds 10,000 people. And in doing so, therefore, extend the match day uh, for up to two and a half to three hours before the match through to anything like an hour and a half after the match. And in, in that fan village, we're able to create children's zones so that families can come and enjoy the event. We put on concerts and music before the games uh, with local bands. We obviously have a, a variety of food and beverage offerings in that fan village setup but that's really all based around a general general admission and season ticket uh, mm-hmm. offering. Hospitality wise, you know, we're trying to particularly innovate with our, our higher end products and, and bring in extra elements, uh, whether that's personal meet and greets with players, um, those that arrive before a certain time can get a full changing room tour, all without increasing our price. So we're adding value into the package, actually in ways that don't, don't really cost us anything, but our perceived extra value for uh, for the customer, and uh, we I think we've managed to probably not have two games the same, and then we've got new ideas and thoughts coming in mm. each week, and we keep trying to change.
5: So it's about that value for experience in order to keep the people retained. That's right. and I mean, you must have the same challenges in in golf clubs. You're you're forever continuing to try and retain the membership, make yeah. sure people have a reason yeah, to, it, to it, not
1: it, say it, that. yeah. It's all about making sure the product is moving on food and beverage is important because you know, people are in their leisure time, they're coming to the club to en- enjoy their hospitality, enjoy their friends and colleagues and other members. Um, but I, the important thing is to, is to make sure that we're always, yeah, almost on their next list for their next wedding, their next party that they're considering and just making sure we're, we're on the top of the game so that they're using the club more and more. So for for different activities, activities, yeah. Whether it's you know, it's the wedding business has increased significantly over the last few years, Um, and just family occasions. We've really focused on a couple of our clubs. You know, one of the true unique selling points of, of the business is. Is that we're a family centre. You know, we want that businessman to come and enjoy his time with us. We put in a health club, so that perhaps younger members of the family go swimming. My dad's playing golf, and uh, and it's just making sure it's a facility for all of the family That's to use.
5: Really sweating the asset
1: so. Yeah, yeah, but it, you know that, that comes with some expense because to put put a decent health club on and do it well it is a serious investment. But it um, it works, it works very well, and it's quite an attractive proposition. So. Yeah, and are so. you finding challenges
5: around the health club staff? Uh,
1: not, Long- no, not too bad at the moment, frankly. We, we thought, um, we, owned, we started one relatively small health club, we now have two fairly big ones um, and they, um, they're both, you know, the health, health and fitness staff, we don't find such a problem. Uh, more, more, more than you know, continual food and beverage actually yeah. it's just finding, finding and retaining those good well, food and beverage if, stuff we're
5: finding that a number of our hotels um, in membership saying that they're struggling with therapists Spar, um, yeah
1: staff I, I have that heard that Yeah, That I have is heard becoming
5: that. an increasing challenge I know everybody thinks about it in terms of chefs but mm. um, and, and a couple of you mentioned family I mean that, that seems to be the big area where, where racing is, is developing as well In terms of providing a family offering Is that something that you're, you're seeing in, in the race courses that you're working with?
3: Definitely and on you know, certainly at Cheltenham we're offering you know family areas, you know, at the weekend there was a, a pepper pig area at the race course and it's fantastic to, be able to, to you know to be able to offer something like that. I think we're quite lucky at Cheltenham in mean, you know it's a challenge that we have kind of so many kind of temporary facilities at our different meetings across the course of the season. But because they are temporary from a year you know from a year to year we can kind of change what we offer and it means you know if we are kind of building our, our tented village for the festival um, and we find that perhaps we need you know a a large area for, for something like a you know a family day then, then we can do that and, and that goes with kind of everything we do we do really you know if we're going to add a new restaurant you know nowadays we can kind of you know start small and grow it and we will look to be kind of doing something slightly different with uh, you know perhaps a pan asian themed menu rather than you know in, in the past you have just been offered a, you know a four course a la carte and that was kind of it at a, mm-hmm. a kind of a sports event so yeah i think i think we're quite lucky in the flexibility we have and just kind of being as flexible as possible is, is what we're trying to do, really. Mm. Yeah, I, I think technology has brought that to us a bit. Is that so many
1: members of the family are on their iPhones or their, you know, their, their, their mobile devices um, that actually getting quality family time is going higher and higher up the agenda of, of young families, mm. uh, young and old families, and grandparents alike. And um, it's interesting we when we noted this a few years ago we started an adventure golf business you know aimed at families and one of my key criteria was I want anybody that can anybody can play from the age of four to 94 and what we found one of our biggest customer bases were grandparents who could actually go and do something with their grandchildren because well, they weren't racing around on bikes they were walking around a little pirate uh, adventure golf course and the thing was a huge hit and we put it on a traditional golf course um, which upset a number of the old traditional members, <laughs> having this par of But you know, we tucked it in the corner. But it very quickly became one of our most popular venues. And not only that, of course, that was a trickle effect to help that. You know, we were promoting then junior golf programs. Our junior golf programs grew. Our driving range revenue grew. Food, I was going to ask, that, uh, I mean, you can't uh, put you all know, these mess. things on,
5: but does it actually increase revenue? And you're, you're finding that it that it
1: is. Well, I, you know, that's one of the reasons we're doing it for sure. And, you know, we pay close attention to that. But I, I, I think there's a wider sort of social um, thing happening, which is. You're giving families the ability to connect whether it's a rugby or whether it's mm. a football and, and as you say at the race course and you know the pepper pig eye well, that's fantastic yeah. you know that that i think is something that you the whole family can go and i think if you can engage in that businesses you know the, there's, there's an awful lot of consumers that want to go out as a family these days because
5: yes. mm. i mean it's, it's obviously been a a, a big part of Children's lives and young people's lives is going to the football or going to rugby with, with dad, yeah. usually, um, but less so going to the race course or perhaps going to the golf yeah. course. Yeah. Are you doing similar things yeah. in, in Ascot as to, well, to broaden the appeal? Uh,
6: historically, like my colleague there, uh, we, we, we've got family days and we, we, we've been um, promoting those and growing them and getting better, I say, more expertise at them. If you take the recent Father at night, you know, you you have a day to racing with the, with the facilities for, for people with young children um, then that's followed by a, um, a film in our pavilion where the kids go in and sit on bean bags and that break between when you see the fireworks show and when you, so we've extended that, that day but putting real emphasis into family time from fairground rides to say the, the, the movies and then coming back to watch a 45 minute fireworks spectacular, one of the best in Europe. Is, is something that people put in their diaries we're coming again um, but going back to, to the, um, the point where you, where you started um, sweating assets is key um, uh, I'm doing a lot of work more recently with the local business community in and around um, Ascot Racecourse mm-hmm. and um, you know that challenge of when you look at us as a, uh, as a venue, as a place to come and do things like that. They, there's this famous place called Heathrow Airport, which is a flagship venue. You turn right, you go to London. you turn left, you come to us. Um, but uh, in terms of a flagship venue within the Thames Valley, a vibrant com- business community, we have a huge asset in Escobar Schools that can be used to the benefit of those businesses for product launches, for conferences, and that awareness is something that you only get by actually going out into the business community building face-to-face relationships um, and i found real we're getting started to get real traction in terms of that boots on the ground building solid relationships understanding what our product offer is understanding how and what we we do what we do and it's not a—I mean I didn't think you would let us do that. That's, it's not about what we do, it's about the fact that there are, you know, when you look at the number of facilities we have, a bit like yourself, when you, when you take a, a hotel venue, you look at the number of facilities. When you're looking at over 250 faci- different facilities, mm. whether it's doing a press launch in a, in a, um, a box for, for, for 50 on the, on the second floor, one of our pre- prestige areas, or whether it's in our flagship restaurant, 300 people overlooking the the park, looking to the wind, uh, the London skyline. There's so many different uh, elements to what ASCA has to offer, and I feel that communication piece that um, you can't assume that people get it. You have to actually engage with them to and, and, and get them to come and to experience it, and and that's what I find where we're seeing we we're, we're probably working harder, but we're working smarter. Mm that's what I'd say.
5: And obviously football has been a core part of, of local communities for, for many many years, are you doing the same kind of outreach activities to your local businesses to, to enhance that link?
2: Absolutely, uh, again probably a different set of uh, companies perhaps in, in the west of London we've got a lot of uh, it's a one-man band or one-woman band, as we also say. And it's, it's very much being relevant to those. You know, we've got massive organisations on the doorstep, but we've also got you know, tens of thousands of things that in, in the borough that we exist, of, of and Forest. I think there's more small businesses than there are in any borough in London, which is something to tap into, but also to, to remain relevant to. You know, there's no point us pitching that £20,000 hospitality package to them, because it's just you know, it's their budget for the year on, on uh, entertainment and marketing. Uh, so we have to make sure that we've, we we tap into their niche and provide something that, that fits their objectives.
5: And then, I guess the challenge then is to do that the the revenue levels that you can attract but the costs that you've got to have, have to, to put it on.
2: Absolutely, and finding that balance is, I think we've just about struck it right now, uh, but it, it, it's been very much making sure that we've got a package that appeals to every single uh, objective and budget uh, mm-hmm. that's out there and that with some limited space. that's the that's challenge.
5: And obviously when we're talking about that delicate balance of, of revenue versus costs, the government has sort of tipped it against us slightly with, with some of the increases in, in employment costs to do with living wage, minimum wage, but also the apprenticeship levy. How are you grappling with that as a football club? Yeah,
2: there's an awful lot that sort of goes against uh, every, everyone within this sector uh, and obviously you know, football and, and golf and, and every other sport. is uh, they're not immune from it. it, it's unfortunate those costs have to be passed on. And it, it, you mentioned about working smarter, I think we all have to, to work smarter and, and harder in order to try and recover some of that cost so that not every pound of that increase is passed on to, to the end, end customer, the end fan, mm-hmm. the end client because otherwise they're not going to come. And it's yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's squeezing those assets, sweating those assets every single day to make sure that you are. Uh, your price points
5: relevant yeah and obviously I mean with the apprenticeship levy presumably in, in sports stadiums your payroll bill is elevated by a small number of more highly paid staff um, and then you've got a large number of lower paid staff so how are you managing that balance
4: well I think we one of the things that we've tried to do particularly with the apprenticeship levy is, is looking at ways in which you can effectively recycle the cost of the, the apprenticeship levy working with local partner groups, um, educational Mm -hmm. uh, facilities as well as uh, other organizations and trying to to put together effectively some bang for buck with that apprenticeship levy. Um, Inevitably, you're right, of course, you've got a a long tail in terms of staff and cost and and many of them um, are, of course, working on zero hours Mm -hmm. or part-time contracts um, which are constantly challenging I think the challenge for um, staff as well as organisations, but they are an essential part of of how we do business, Um, and uh, it's a case of I think the point was made earlier about the the consistency of staff uh, as well as the number of staff, and trying to retain and promote and to develop those staff when they're on limited hours is a a difficult challenge.
5: Mm. And how do we sort of change the perception of people working in our sector? Because I think you you tend to get it. The, the assumption is that zero hours contracts, um, low pay, long hours, or temporary casual staff, we have a bad reputation sometimes as an employer. What can we do to celebrate the positives of, of employment within the sector?
3: I think it's really sort of working with staff to make sure that, you know, if things are costing a little bit more, you're making sure people are, are kind of retained and they're upskilled and, and, you, and you make the sector, you know, a more valuable sector to work in for people. Like you said, it does have a, a bit of a reputation for being, you know, quite, quite a short-term, uh, you know, sector to work in, perhaps you're looking for something else, but it's changing perceptions of that, really, um, and just and just making kind of working at the venues as, as kind of, um, you know, valuable as possible for people, really.
5: And I mean, you must have some of the stardust factor, though, have Working in Ascot, working at Cheltenham, working for you know, football clubs and, and rugby clubs—does that rub off? Do people want to come and work?
3: It does, but I think you know, as a sporting venue, you you quite often end up with uh, uh, you know a team of staff. who are all very much kind of on you know on the same page. You know, Cheltenham Racecourse is a brilliant place to be, and the festival's fantastic. But perhaps you know uh, a high percentage of our staff don't probably share that and they need to kind of be brought in and and, and and be you know sold that dream to a certain extent really because you can't just presume and this goes to and um, to what Chris was saying we've kind of working with local business communities you can't presume they know what you can offer and and that they're kind of sold on on, on what your venues can do you have to kind of work to um to, to, to make everyone realize that really yeah I, I think some of it is also making sure you're pointing out the differences
1: to some of the staff is uh, yeah, we've, we've been reasonably fortunate over the last few years that we've built more consistency. And it's a struggle with build more consistency, but you know the location that they work in in our facilities is generally quite nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're in the, the green belt area. You know, the trees around, and not stacks of offices, and they get a chance actually to get to know the customer because you know all of our businesses have an element of a membership mm-hmm. um, related to it. So you know, you do get some consistency and people do like building relationships and, you know, you can get that across and um, being outside, you know, some people like being outside some people don't want to be cooped up in office so, you know, there are various aspects, I think, in everybody's location that you can sell those through and and, and just point them out and sometimes, you know, I I met one of our members of team uh, a while ago who's come back to join us, actually left us and came back to join us, and I was talking to him. And said, oh. He said, "I just love coming down that drive, Colin. I really <laughs> miss coming down the drive." And that was remarkable. So it was a young man who worked in our pro shop. Mm. And, you know, he decided to go and work in retail in uh, in the town centre, and he came back to us in about six months. And he, and and I asked him, he said, "I just love coming down the drive, the trees and the environment that we're in. It's, it's just beautiful." Yeah. And you know, so it's, uh, it's quite interesting. It. it Whilst, whilst the salary and the payroll is important obviously and, and you, you know you, you can never get away from that people need to be paid an appropriate wage for the job but um, I, th- I think you know you, you it's beholden on us to make sure as employers that we put over the positives of being involved in whether it's a rugby club or a football mm. club or it's an Ascot racecourse um, you know that and there are some real positives.
6: Yeah I think that you know when you you look at yes, it might be hard work as well, but... When it, you look at a challenge of say 160, 150 on full-time staff and then you go up to 6,000 on a yeah, race day. That's a massive challenge. That, that's, ch- that's a challenge. a challenge uh, getting um, that out. But it, 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 it you know, m- my colleagues um, specifically in it, you know, it's not the, in my area of responsibility but I, I have to say, um, having joined the race course in April, that I'm... I was absolutely amazed by the level of expertise and standards and motivation and everything that's delivered to deliver the product that we deliver in the way that we deliver the organisation and the know how and the, the motivation that's needed is, is quite outstanding for someone from, from a business background who has a passion for racing, who's come into sports and leisure business at a, in my later years, having worked in big brand environments. So I've, I've actually been the customer. In, uh, on so many occasions and never really appreciated as the customer what Gets comes on behind and and, 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 and and actually there is a huge um, goodwill factor in delivering a great experience for someone at a sporting event in a way that you you feel proud and I think that 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 element, I see it coming through in from casual staff to, to, there's a community spirit there to deliver and I dare say it's it's the same there. You feel you're part of something quite special when you're doing it and that is something that you can build on in terms of why people want to work for you and and, and that compensates a little bit for some of the other areas um, because we, you know, if there's 160 of us working there and then there's more or less 6,000 of us working to deliver our biggest sporting event, you know, if you take it with the third largest sporting event in the UK overall, so it's a huge sporting event and mm. it's something that you people like to be part of, at whatever level you're part of it. Mm. Um, and um, it, it, it gets the blood flowing and um, happy customers make happy staff, you know, in many sense of the word, and yeah. it doesn't happen by chance. No. Yeah.
5: And it's quite an interesting perspective, because coming from an, being an outsider almost into the hospitality part yeah. of it, that skill um, to manage a large venue or to, to, to deliver a logistical event um, on a regular basis as you do with the, the sort of golf clubs and the, the football and rugby clubs versus a major event that you're doing, pulling off in the, rug, in the racing world, um, I don't think people appreciate quite how much skill you need I mean, to be I mean, able I mean, to I'm, I'm generally in
6: awe of my colleagues in operations and facilities for what they do, how they do it, and the well oiled machine that you, you really see in action close okay. up.
5: And then in rugby and football, you're doing that on a very regular basis with a core team who presumably have that real strong sense of community.
2: Yeah, you're buying them into the concept, aren't you? Uh, at the end of the day, they're, they're invested in that time, you know, they could go and work in another sector, you want to reward them in other ways other than just, just money, and it, it's forming part of that uniqueness of the euphoria
1: of sport.
4: Mm. i just to add to that, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about the point of how, you know, at least sport attracts you know people who want to be working in and around it, but it often needs to be tempered with the fact that actually it can be, you know, a very, you know, a hard working day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Staff work very long hours um, for a major event, we scale up from, you know, around about the um, 170 full-time staff to 2,000, two and a half thousand match day as well, and then we're up and down during the week for conferences and events and everything else. A lot of the hard work is the known is the, the bits that aren't glamorous. Mm-hmm. And yes, you might get to meet Danny Cipriani in the corridor or James Haskell, but actually, you know, the 99.9 percent of your role is a tough job. You're on your feet a lot of the day. We're looking at ways to, you know, find ways to smooth out the challenges for staff you know, how you do breaks and how you, how you compensate for, you know, particularly long days and difficult events. So it's, you've got to, you've got to balance both. you get a lot of people interested in, in wanting to be part of sport, but you've actually got to respect them and, and, and be honest with them, be honest with them and what it involves.
5: And if we turn to look ahead at sort of the future, what does the future look like? What, 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 where can you see the business developing going forward and what are the likely threats? for your organisation is going
4: forward that you can see? Well, I think from, from WASP's point of view, it's always about looking to find new ways to, to sweat the acid, new revenue streams, new ideas, new concepts. Um, we're, we're very fortunate to have an incredible facility at the Rico Arena, but we're also conscious of the fact we have to work hard to get maximum event days out of that. So we have a, we have a measure, one of our KPIs, is the number of days that over 90% of the venue is in use Um, And that sort of fluctuates anywhere between 85 and 95 days a year. Now, it's not possible to do 365, but it is probably possible to do 200. And therefore, that's the scale of where we have to go and how we are more innovative. The rugby matches, football matches are effectively the easy bit. They're they're set in stone. We know how many they are going to be. We know when they're going to be a lot of what we then need to do to really leverage the asset is actually fill in those other days and make the venue work hard. So those ideas of uh, more innovation, more ideas, how to create and bring in different events, we hold a lot of music events, we hold um, a lot of conferences, exhibitions, but what more can we do?
5: And what, what might hold you back, what might stop that future development, is there anything on the horizon that you can see that might cause a problem?
4: I think just a very competitive landscape. There are there are many opportunities. There are many facilities in the country that are of great quality in conference and exhibitions. For example, we are the, we're the fifth largest venue in the UK, but uh, we're next to the NEC, and the NEC is uh, is a is a big tough competitor. So we're how do we create the right competitive tension there? I think competition continues throughout the. We, I often talk about how our competitors, not Leicester Tigers or Northampton Saints or even Aston Villa, but our competitor first and foremost is the sofa
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, and the ability for um, people to consume our product in many different channels that they couldn't before. That's who the competitor is. Um, and another competitor for us is say Olsen Towers, which is just up the road and it's another great family day out. Mm-hmm. How do we compete with them to create the environment for, for families and people to come and enjoy? It's, it's not quite the same traditional model of the competition being just your other rugby club. It's, it's the the tablet is the, probably the greatest competitor of all. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Colin,
4: you've got a
1: broader portfolio. Yeah, i well, a number really. I, if I if I looked on our estate and property side, I would say planning. So among us in the planning uh, department of, uh, of government and local council yeah i mean i i'm just completely bemused by the number of planning officers they seem to go through every year and the lack of decision or, or consistency of decisions uh, is just quite appalling actually and I, I think that is a real headache you know at a real local level um some council um you know the, the quality of employees in some of those council positions um, are, are not as good as they should be frankly and you just don't keep the consistency, and, and I think that is a real threat to some aspects of business, particularly on the you know on the development side. On the on our pure golf side, I, I, um, yeah, I, I, one of the things that we've got coming up is is environmentally because a number of uh, European edicts on you know what you can and can't put down on on open fields and grass and etc. You know, in our sphere, just like in football, rugby, you need to cop. Top quality turf, and to get that, you know, takes some managing. Um, so th- that's going to be an interesting scenario in terms of managing turf over the next few years. Um, uh, the I, I think more so in the you um, know outdoor or now our indoor golf business. We're now trading in a number of town centres. Um, and, you know, the, the rates, a yeah, yeah, rates, um, you know, there's just rates. the on cost of business rates at the moment. My God, um, you know, that's, that's been a real eye opener as we've been developing that business, but we've been quite, in some respects, we're quite lucky because we're hitting the cycle of a number of the restaurant chains really suffering and, you know, many perhaps overextending themselves and over expanding. So at least we're, we seem to be picking up some reasonable lease deals from shopping centres and, you know, large um, leisure um, centres, shall we say, out of town shopping, etc. Um,
5: so you're moving into the, mo- yeah, the different we're, models? Yeah,
1: we're, we're going into a slightly different model, and um, but nonetheless, you know, there's still some quite quite challenges, you know, mm. coming at us.
5: And, and do you have similar issues in, in the racetracks with um, licensing and consistency decisions and local enforcement? Business
3: rates are
6: they common across more businesses too? Um, from my side, I mean, uh, I feel um, in the air, in the area of responsibility that that I work in, um, my my sort of uh, remit is in the areas that actually you're sort of touching on, which mm. is the the things we're not doing as opposed mm. to the things that we're doing, and therefore the the housekeeping in and around the the things that we have to. to Contact from a commercial environment in that core running of the venue is not something that I that I touch on really with my hands. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of the great job that everybody does, but, but from from my side, I'm I'm looking at this, this how much we have to pay for this this asset. We it, it's how can we use this asset, and therefore touching on what you mentioned about Wasp, when I just look at, at adding value into customer experiences in who are already coming because those returning customers are just as important as the, as the ones that we're not dealing with at all. Mm. And having different touch points and different conversations and all those sorts of things. that That's where I can, I, I in my team and, and, the, and the sales team, we're starting to, you know, I feel we're making real inroads in those areas in terms of that core management of the impact of business rates and all that. So it's not something that I actually touch on other than I know that we, we have to manage it accordingly. Mm. And we do, It affects us, of course it does,
5: like every other venue. And the Cheltenham Festival, I mean, it it sort of hits headlines with the local authority in, in the wrong way sometimes, doesn't it, because it prompted them to introduce a late night levy because they were concerned about the volume of alcohol that was being consumed, so that must be a difficult relationship to manage. It, in that intense period
3: yeah it's something we have to manage and you know the site doubles in size during the, the course of the festival and the, you know the amount of people that come into the town is just not a normal thing for a town like Lodgham like to have to deal with so it's just managing those those relationships with local local authorities really and making sure they are on the side and, and you know people realising the, the benefits it has to the local economy and, and kind of you know making people aware of that I think is quite, quite important really but yeah I mean I, I'm, I'm the same as Chris really come more from kind of a, a you know a, a sales perspective I suppose and kind yeah. of you know what we're doing to innovate on that front rather than, rather than kind of working with local authorities yeah. and, and that kind of thing.
5: And, and looking ahead to the future where, where do you see that developing and going forward in terms of racing in the UK and
3: I think with, with racing at the moment, I mean, p- people are doing kind of the music after racing thing very well and that's bringing a lot more people through the gate. Um, it's just kind of um, keeping an eye on what's happening and, and, and looking at kind of, um, how you can innovate going forward certainly on a race day like we've already touched on we are changing what we offer from a from a hospitality perspective we're bringing family areas in we had a, a big event at the weekend um regarding kind of the um sort of surrounding the remembrance celebrations and we have sort of an air show uh, basically on sunday morning so it's just thinking outside the box and doing something completely different uh, and i think that goes for the you know our kind of event spaces as well Mm. we probably have carved out a niche locally as to what we can offer the centaur is one of the kind of bigger venues in the area um but are we perhaps doing the the kind of smaller things as well as you know local hotels and that kind of thing are and uh, and how can we make local businesses aware of that
5: and what does the future look like for late norient what would make a real difference to to your business going forward
2: Promotion would help, uh, but from, from a, a, a non-matillated point of view, that's our biggest growth area. It's an area that we've tapped and probably put our toe now in not even put our toe in, and uh, we, we need to massively sweat that asset. We're probably 5%, I think, of what we, we could do and what we'll be doing in a couple of years' time. And uh, that's our biggest growth opportunity to be able to further invest in facilities and players.
5: And it would be remiss of me to, to end our podcast without touching on the, the most topical issue that everybody keeps talking about when, when you get into hospitality challenges, when you get into to looking at the future. Um, your views very quickly are on Brexit, is, is it a particular problem for you in, in your business sense or are you having any fears or do you see it as a potential opportunity for future development and growth?
1: Well I, I think it's a problem in as much that it, I, I think confidence mm. and therefore investment um, is just not happening at perhaps the levels it would, would be happening if people and had clarity and, it is, uh, and for me it's just all about the uncertainty. I think we will, we will deal with whatever's thrown us and, and we'll overcome. Um, I, I tend to take a positive view on it that we've always been a, a trading island, <laughs> trading with many partners around the world right from our very early days. And um, whilst it's not ideal, we will resolve the matters, Mm. I think. But we haven't got any direct headwinds from it uh, at the moment. Apart from, I do hear an awful lot of people, I'm not making that decision until I know, have a bit more clarity. I hear that an awful lot.
6: I think that's true. When you you look at um, selling, um, you know, when you look at the hospitality piece, you know, where you, you look to sell quite a way in advance. Mm. Um, so if, if I'm having a conversation with a customer about Royal Ascot in June, and you look at what's happening in the Brexit piece, there's this element of, of, of they still want to, to buy into all the reasons why they use our product and what they want to do. So, and some of them will just make that decision because yeah. we've done it all the But, but others will just think, well, we have got a bit of time to decide whether we are, and, and you know the difference between paying a deposit as opposed to paying a bill. Those sorts of little decisions, I think would, we would be fooling ourselves as we were saying that, 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 that there are people who are just waiting on to see if they can afford to wait. And then, mm. they can in certain hospitality. If, you, if an event is in June, um, and we've still got availability, you don't have to make your decision in November, do you? Yeah. So therefore, um, by the sheer nature of the human race and all of us, I mean, I think I, I listen to something one night and I listen to something the next night, and I, I, I just, I, I go to Chamber of Commerce meetings and I hear government ministers talking about things, and, and, and I still, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing are two different things, and if that's how I feel, I think a lot of people are saying, what i'm hearing is not what i'm seeing and then what am i thinking and then you just end up with this bit of a whirlpool well i'll just i'll just watch a bit yes um but we we, you know we're we're taking um um, bookings and renewals and 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 businesses in that sense is is normal but there is there is an element of there are people who are just just i think waiting to commit on certain things that they would have probably committed with sooner if brexit wasn't going on Mm. and i
5: assume as well i mean in the the in the hospitality world, we're all worried about if we crash out, will we be able to get our salads delivered? Mm. I suppose in the racing world, particularly given the, the high proportion of Irish race, courses, race horses and race owners, I mean, there must be a challenge of how you physically get some of the animals over and, and what the checks are to get them across the border post 29th of March not thought of
3: until we sat down and yeah. talked about it. <laughs> 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 well, i are probably pleased that the Cheltenham Festival is going to happen two weeks before that. Exactly. Probably <laughs> a pretty, pretty good start. <laughs> good timing. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those uncertainties with Brexit that you can't almost worry too much about in, in, until it happens, and, and we know what's, you know, how, how it's going to kind of end up. Um, I think, you know, short term, you know, are people going to... Be struggling to commit to things in terms of hospitality spends that you know that probably is going to be the case but i think long term if you make sure you're the first event they've got in their calendar at yes. the start of the year Great. then you're fine if they're doing five events and they're dropping to four then make sure you're not one of those that gets dropped so, so being very good
5: at what you do making no, sure good. that you're out yeah, there yeah. absolutely Great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> anything else to add from wasps and legend orient
4: well, i think i would i would probably reiterate the point about confidence um i think the you'd see it in hospitality but less so in, in because it's not such a it, it's such a large value purchase as it is in, in Alaska or Cheltenham. But the the area where I really see it is in sponsorship and partnerships, where the larger partners are just sitting on their hands. Mm-hmm. They're willing to see and and not making what is you know a six or seven figure investment decision into a sporting organisation um, right now because we just need to see what happens. So that that is a risk. I yeah. also uh, um. I'm anxious, might be overstating it, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens in terms of freedom of movement of labour mm-hmm. um, and what effect that has on staffing for major events. I think that is a risk. And uh, I think we, we've already begun to see a little bit of that with probably less of an influx of, of EU workers within the, the sort of West Midlands area. I can only talk about that, but I think we're seeing a, a reduction in the, in the inflow. Um, so there are some you know, tough challenges ahead. The supply chain I'm less worried about. I think the supply chain will be capable of looking after itself. And I think, you know, be, uh, the points been made about how good we are at sort of muddling through and sorting things out, I think that's an example of where that'll be okay. But uh, the confidence thing is, is the biggest by far.
2: I think there's lots of unknown uh, for, for businesses, for consumers, for everyone, and it's probably what we, we don't know that we're probably worried about. Mm. Probably we're not going to find that one out for three or four months as it, as it comes to, uh, to light of what
5: happened. I think uncertainty is the new norm is what um, everybody has to grapple with, that, as you say, we're not going to get clarity for quite a few months. I think um, so we'll have to wait and see but that's our time up thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for your insights I think what's really reassuring is that um, the challenges that we face across all the breadth of hospitality um, they are very common Uh, and the big issues that we are fighting and campaigning on we're fighting and campaigning as a large group of collective businesses they are the same challenges around people around property around product about making sure that um, you have the insights about the changing nature of the consumer in order to develop, develop the business further. So thank you so much for a fascinating discussion.
3: Thank you. Thank okay, you. thank you.
0: Our next podcast will feature the world of festivals when we sit down with Alex Brook, the founder of Peffment Events, and chat to him about the challenges and the opportunities for the festival industry.